Good morning. It's good to see everyone out this morning. We do have a, a good number with us. We have a number of visitors with us, and we're grateful for your presence. I invite you all to get your Bibles out and be turning to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. We'll begin our study there in just a moment. <clears throat> have you ever felt that what is expected of you is too much? Perhaps it's at your place of work. Maybe it's the company you work for. You feel like they're, they're putting too much on you. They're asking too much of you. Maybe it's your boss at work who's piling responsibility after responsibility on your back and on your shoulders, and you feel like you can't bear it. It's too much for you. Maybe it's your family responsibilities. Maybe it's the responsibilities that you might have towards your spouse, uh, the responsibilities you may have towards your kids, responsibilities you may have towards your parents, and you feel like it's just too much for you, too much for you to bear. Maybe it's others at church. Maybe you feel like at times your brethren are expecting too much of you. Maybe you feel like the elders are expecting too much of you. Or maybe it's God. Maybe you feel like God is expecting too much of you. God expects too much of a Christian. He's asking too much of us. I've had us open here to 1 Kings chapter 12. I want to take our, our minds back to the period of the divided kingdom. And just after the kingdom had divided, I want us to notice that God's people became convinced that what God was expecting of them and what God was asking of them was too much for them. Begin reading with me in 1 Kings chapter 12, beginning at verse 26. It says, And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the, kingdom, now the kingdom may return into the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even as far as Dan. Here we see that King Jeroboam, king of the northern tribes of Israel, was successful in convincing God's people that it was too much for them. That what God is asking you to do is just too much. We know from Deuteronomy chapter 16 that God had designated Jerusalem to be a place of worship. He had designated Jerusalem to be the place where the people would gather together to offer their sacrifices and to worship. And Jeroboam was successful in convincing these people that that wasn't necessary. That what God is asking of you, what God is expecting of you was too much. And verse 30 says that once they became convinced of that, once they became convinced that it was too much, that that thing became a sin to them. And so I want us to, to use this as a means of kind of challenging ourselves this morning and ask ourselves a very similar question. Have we convinced ourselves that God's commands are too much? And are there things in our lives that we may view as too much that God is expecting of us? And that too may become a sin in our lives, just as this thing became a sin to God's people here in 1 Kings chapter 12. Their sin all started by them first being convinced that what God was asking of them was too much, and it was too much for them to bear. So I want us to ask ourselves that question this, uh, this morning. Is it too much for you? And raise some questions of some things that God has uh, commanded us to do in his scriptures, and we may use the excuse of it's too much. It's too much that, for God to expect me to do that. 
And when we become convinced of that, it might become sin in our lives. First question I want us to ask is, is it too much for you to attend all of the services? All of us have busy schedules. All of us have things that we need to be doing. I'm sure all of us probably have things that, that we could be doing this morning, uh, that we work we could do around the house. If it, was, if it wasn't raining and it was, the sun was shining, I'm sure we have some yard work we could be doing today. So there's not a person in here who's not busy. There's not a person in here who doesn't have things that they could do on a Sunday, don't have things that they could do on a Wednesday night. After a long day's work on a Wednesday, it'd be nice to kind of go home and sit down, sit on the couch, sit in the recliner, and not have to worry about going to a church service. But is it too much for you to do that? I want us to notice that God has always expected his people to gather together for the purpose of worship. This is not just something that we see in the New Testament. And we just pointed out from uh, 1 Kings chapter 12 that God expected his people to gather together at Jerusalem. I want to ask you, if you had been a Jew under the Old Testament law, would you have gone up to Jerusalem? Uh, Deuteronomy 16 and verse 16 says that three times a year they were supposed to do that. Would you have been found among that number who went up to Jerusalem for the purpose of worshiping and offering sacrifices? As we go on a little further into the Old Testament, Nehemiah chapter 8, we find the public reading of the law as they stood before the water gate in Nehemiah chapter 8. There we see the scene where in verse 5, Ezra the scribe was reading the law. He opened up the law and all the people stood up out of respect and reverence for the law. And it says in verse 8 that he gave them a sense. He helped them to understand what they were reading and help them to make application of it. If you had been around in the days of Nehemiah and the days of Ezra, would you have been found at the public reading of the law? As we come to the New Testament, if you had been a first century Christian, would you have been found gathered together with the saints? We find numerous passages, particularly in the book of Acts, that talk about gathering together with the saints. Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, there on the day of Pentecost, where they continued daily in the temple and in the apostles' doctrine, Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, we see there where Saul and Barnabas were at Antioch, and it says that for a whole year they assembled there with the church. A little further in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, where Paul was in Troas, and it says there on the first day of the week when the disciples had came and gathered together. If you had been a first century Christian, would you have been found gathered together with the saints? The Bible is quite clear about not forsaking the assembling. I'm not even going to have us turn to this passage because all of us know it so well. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And by the way, that was even in the face of persecution that is talked about in the context of Hebrews chapter 10. That even in the face of persecution, they were not to forsake the assembling. And this was in order that they might stir up and exhort one another. It's the fact that God has commanded us to gather together, as we are doing this morning, is not only for the purpose of worshiping Him, that is one of the reasons, uh, but it's also, as we see in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, where it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. It's encouraging. As, as you look around you this morning, there may be 120 people here. And it's encouraging to look around and, and see those of like precious faith who are willing to gather together to worship. It lifts you up as well as helps us to worship our God. Is it too much for you to attend all of the services? If, if you had been present when this letter was read to the Hebrew people, would you have continued to assemble, even in the face of persecution, even in the, in the face of perhaps having your life ended because you gathered together? Would it have been too much for you to gather together and to attend all the services. But secondly, I want us to raise the question, 
Is it too much for you to read and to study your Bible? Much like with attending the services, we allow our busy schedules to hinder us and hinder our time for reading and for, for studying the Scriptures. Could it be that some have such little understanding of the Scriptures because they think it's too much for them? It's too much for, for me to take the time to read. It's too, too much, or it's too difficult. Even when I do read it, it's too difficult to understand. Perhaps that's the reason why some have such little understanding of the will of God. The Bible gives much emphasis on to, read, to the reading of the Scriptures. Remember what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, where he said, Till I come, give attention unto reading. Or Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, where John said, Blessed is he who reads. Or we might think about the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, when they, it is said that they were more noble-minded than those of Thessalonica, and that they searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so. That's impressive to me. It's impressive that they were willing to, to search the Scriptures daily. And if you had been among the Bereans, would you have been found more noble-minded than those of Thessalonica? Would you have searched the Scriptures daily? Or would it have been too much for you to have done that? It's all good and well for us to look at passages that say we need to read the Scriptures, but what do we get out of it? What's, what's the purpose of us reading and studying God's Word? How can we expect to understand what God would have us to do if we're not willing to read and if we're not willing to study? Think of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 4 where uh, Paul there was talking about the mysteries of Christ. The mysteries of Christ have been revealed unto me. And he said in verse, uh, Ephesians 3 and verse 4 that when you read, you may understand the knowledge of the mysteries of Christ. When you, when you read what I have given you, you too will understand the knowledge of the mysteries of Christ. How can we expect to understand if we're not willing to read, if we're not willing to study? How can we expect to grow without reading and studying? First, first Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, that as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That is, the scriptures are food. That is, a, that is a vital part to our spiritual growth and our spiritual strength. And God expects us to be spiritually strong. Just like you must physically feed your physical body to gain strength, how can you expect to grow spiritually if we do not feed ourselves upon the Word? I want to also suggest that we are provided with opportunities. Certainly the, the Bible teaches the fact that we are to daily read and study our Bibles. Uh, but we're provided two opportunities a week here in this very building. Uh, Sunday mornings, we just finished uh, a study where we were reading and studying through the book of Matthew. Uh, chapters 22 and 23 we studied this morning. This Wednesday evening we'll be reading and studying through the book of Genesis. And those are two vital opportunities that are given to us to read and study your Bible. Do you take advantage of those opportunities? Or is it too much for you to take advantage of those opportunities and to read and study the Bible in hopes of growing and becoming a stronger Christian. But then again, we might ask ourselves the question, is it too much for you to pray every day? And again, just like attending all the services, just like reading and, and studying our Bibles, we oftentimes let our busy schedules hinder our time for prayer. See if these things describe you. We rush out in the morning without beginning our day with prayer because we're just too busy. Uh, we wake up late and we're, we're in a hurry to get ready for work and we rush out the door. We don't take time to pray. Or we don't stop in the middle of our day to go to God in prayer because we're just too busy. We have too much going on, uh, too much going on at work that we can't take, take the time to do that. Or we don't slow down at night when we get home from work before we're going to bed to, to stop and to take time to pray because we're just 
too busy. Hopefully those things don't describe you, but when we have a busy schedules and we a busy schedule and we pack our schedule full of uh, non-spiritual things, we have those types of attitudes. The Bible certainly teaches the concept of daily prayer. And we know from the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 when uh, Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he said, "Give us this day our daily bread." Uh, not only teach, teaches to pray for for your daily sustenance, but also teaches the fact that we're to pray on a daily basis. Give us this day our daily bread. Or the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18, that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Or 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, pray without ceasing. We might look to some good examples in the Bible. Uh, we oftentimes, when we're talking about the subject of prayer, think of Daniel of old. Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, after prayer had just been outlawed, uh, a couple of verses before verse 10, the decree had went out that, that you were not to pray uh, before any other god, but only to the, to the king. And Daniel says there in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10 that at, right after that decree was sent out and prayer was outlawed, it says that he knelt down on his knees there three times that day and he prayed. We oftentimes think of David in Psalm 55, where he too talked about praying three times a day, evening, morning, and at noon I will pray, and he shall hear my voice. If you had been Daniel and you had been present when, when prayer had been outlawed and you were threatened that you were going to be thrown into the lion's den if you prayed to your God, would you have continued to pray as Daniel continued to pray? Or if you had been David, would you have made sure that God heard your voice as he did in Psalm chapter 55 and verse 17? Is it too much for you to take time out of your day and out of your busy schedule to pray? But we might also ask ourselves the question, is it too much for you to serve others? Is it too much for you to serve others? There's a variety of ways in which we might serve others. We might serve our brethren. Uh, we might do so by showing hospitality. In fact, that's something that is expected of a Christian. In Romans chapter 12, in verse uh, 13, it says, be given to hospitality. Or Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, uh, we were told there, do not forget to entertain strangers. It's something that is expected of a Christian. It's part of being an elder. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, that's one of the qualifications of being an elder, that they must be hospitable. This is a way in which we might serve others. And it's something that 1 Peter 4 tells us that is to be done without grumbling, without complaining. If you show hospitality to someone and then turn around and grumble and complain about it, you're not truly showing uh, the hospitality as, as God would have you to do so. We might look to the example of Abraham. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 18. We... As I mentioned earlier, we're studying through Genesis on Wednesday night, and a month or so ago we, we came through Genesis chapter 18. And you want to talk about hospitality, I want us to notice what uh, Abraham and Sarah do for the three men that show up at their door. Genesis 18 and verse 2, it says, Then so he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran to the tent door to meet them, and he bowed bowed himself to the ground, and he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh your hearts, and after that you may pass by. Inasmuch as you have come to your servant, they said, Do as you have said. Verse 6 says, So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to the young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which, we had, which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree 
would say eight. I'm not suggesting that we have to, on the spur of the moment, go to the great lengths that, that Abraham and Sarah did. But when these men showed up at Abraham's door, he ran into the, into the tent. Uh, picture it as if a husband running into the kitchen telling his wife that so-and-so is here. I need you to prepare a meal right now at the drop of a hat. That certainly is showing hospitality. But we might even take that a step further. Turn over to uh, 2 Kings chapter 4. If you think it's quite extreme to rush into your house and on the spur of the moment prepare a meal, you'll think this is far more extreme than that. 2 Kings chapter 4. Look at the example of the Shunammite woman, beginning at verse 8. It says, Now it happened one day that when Elisha, that Elisha went to Shunem, and when there he when there was a notable woman. I'm sorry, let me start all over. Now it happened one day when Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, that he would turn in there and eat some food. Now she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room in the wall, and let us put a bed, a bed there for him, and a table and a chair and a lampstand, so it would be that whenever he comes to us that he can turn in there. And it happened one day that when he came there, he turned in to the upper room and lay down there. You talk about hospitality. This is even more extreme than, than preparing an entire meal. These people added a room onto their house. They noticed this man of God, Elisha, was passing by on a regular basis. And the woman went to her husband and said, how about we build onto our house, basically? How about we add this upper room so that we can show hospitality to this man? That's one way in which we, we might serve others. If you had been in the place of Abraham and Sarah when these three men showed up at your door, if you had been in the place of this Shunammite woman when Elisha passed by your door, would you have gone to the great lengths of, of showing hospitality and being willing to serve others? But another way in which we might serve others is by visiting our brethren. James chapter 1 and verse 27 tells us that this is part of undefiled religion. It talks about visiting the orphans, uh, visiting the widows in their trouble. It's good for us to visit our brethren. It's one way in which we can serve others and serve our brethren is by visiting them. We may need to go see how our brethren are doing. Remember in Acts chapter 15? Turn over to Acts 15 quickly, if you will. In Acts 15, Paul is about to uh, embark upon his second missionary journey, and he's trying to gather those together with him who might go. He says in verse 36 that Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city uh, where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now that may have reference to them seeing how they're doing in a spiritual sense, uh, but certainly it's good to visit our brethren and see how they're doing in a physical sense. I also find it interesting that Jesus points out that, this, that visiting is something that's going to separate those at the judgment in the end of time. Look in Matthew chapter 25. Remember the scene that Jesus paints for us and about the, uh, the scene of the judgment where there's going to be uh, the sheep will be separated on the right and the, the goats will be separated on the left. We'll come to this in our Bible class here in a couple of weeks, but Matthew 25 verse 36 the sheep whom he placed on the right says to them, he says, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. Now jump down to verse 43. 
Now he's speaking to those whom he has set on the left-hand side. He says, I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. This very subject of visiting is going to be something that separates those at the judgment in the end of time. And Jesus goes on to say that there are going to be those at the end of judgment that will say, Lord, when have we seen you naked and not clothed you? When have we uh, seen you sick and not come and visited you? And his response was that even as you didn't do it to uh, the least of these, you did not do it to me. That you did not take time to, to visit your brethren. We may need to take time to visit those who are shut in. We may need to take time to take food to those who are sick, to visit those uh, and take food to those who have had surgeries or whatever the, the case may be. And perhaps there may come a time when we ourselves may be in those shoes. We may be in need of a visit. And we hope and pray that others will not find it too much to come and visit their brethren. Another way in which we may serve others, not only by showing hospitality and visiting our brethren, but we may serve others by striving to bring back the erring sinner. The Lord's people are pictured as sheep. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 talks about how the, the elders are, are shepherds over a flock. We're pictured as a flock, as sheep. Sometimes the sheep get out of the pen. Sometimes the sheep wander off. And it's a, it's a duty of uh, the church and those who are spiritual to restore them. Jesus tells that parable in, in Luke chapter 15 about the, uh, the hundred sheep and uh, the one that went astray and the shepherd left the 99 to go try to restore that one who had gone astray. It is the duty of those who are spiritually minded. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. <clears throat> Our goal in restoring those who are erring is not to... Uh, embarrass them, not to publicly humiliate them. It's to bring them back. But Galatians chapter 1, this is the duty of those who are spiritually minded. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So our goal is to bring them back. But also the purpose of us trying to bring them back is to consider ourselves. You never know when, when you might be the one who is the erring sinner, and you might be the sheep who has, gone, who has gone astray. Put yourself in their shoes. Would you want them to come after you if you were lost? Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. It could be you. It could be me. And one of our duties in serving others is to try to bring the error back, the erring sinner back. And James 5 and verse 19 and 20 says, He who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So we might serve our brethren in those ways. We might show hospitality to them. We might uh, visit our brethren from time to time to see how they're doing spiritually, to see how they're doing physically. And we might strive to bring the error, erring sinner back. We should be willing to serve others just as Jesus served others. We saw in Matthew chapter 20 where Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. I came to be a servant. And no greater example of that than what we see in, in John chapter 13 when he washed the disciples' feet in the first 17 verses there. In verse 15, after he had washed their feet, he tells them that I have done this, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. It's an example of, of the servant's attitude that we are to mimic and we are to imitate uh, after our Lord and Savior. Is it too much for you to serve others? Is it too much for you to... to do good for your brethren, to see how they're doing, to visit them from time to time. We might ask ourselves another question. As we think about this question, is it too much for you? Is it too much for you to do your part? I want to explain what I'm 
talking about here in just a moment. One way the church can grow is by every member doing its part. The, the uh, flock of God is, is pictured not only as being sheep, as we mentioned a moment ago, but it's pictured as being a body. Uh, this group of people here this morning, we're a body made up of many members, made up of many members who have different functions and different roles. Each member has its purpose. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll see an illustration of this, of how every member must do its part. Uh, just as uh, with our physical body, we have many mem- it's made up of many members that, that have to do their part. Uh, the church is made up of, of many members, and this is how the church can be expected to grow. Each member has its purpose. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Uh, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Uh, some, some have different talents than others that, that they perform there in verse 11. We also see that in order to, to promote uh, church growth, every member must supply their part. Every member must do their part. Go a little further in verse 16. Uh, Ephesians 4 and verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So how do we grow the body? How do we, how do we grow the church? How do we edify the church? As it says there at the end of verse 16, it's by every joint supplying its part. It's by every member here doing their part, doing their work in the Lord's work. What if a part of your physical body just quit doing its part? What if, for illustration's sake, your, your left arm just quit working? Your left arm is handicapped. Your right arm is going to have to pick up the slack that is left by your left arm. And when we t- have a, a member who is slacking and not doing their part, other members who are doing their part have to pick up the slack where they may be lacking. But in what areas and in what ways can we do our part in the Lord's service. There's a number of ways we can, we can do our part uh, in the church, both spiritually and, and physically. One way in which we may do our part uh, for the men of the congregation is leading the congregation in worship. You might do your part by leading the congregation in prayer. You might do your part by leading the congregation in song. You might do your part by leading uh, the congregation in the reading of the scriptures or by taking part in the, in the serving of the Lord's Supper. That has to be done. Someone has to do that. And if everyone in here refused to do it, then we wouldn't have much of a church service. There has to be those who are willing to do their part. When you're asked to do these things, do you grumble and complain about having to do something? If one of the deacons asks you to, to take part in the service, to lead in a prayer, uh, to, to read the scriptures, do you grumble and complain? Do you look at the work list and say, oh, I'm down to do so-and-so this month, and I, I've got to do an invitation on a Wednesday night. I don't want to take the time to do that. Do we grumble and complain, or do you willingly do it? Is it too much for you to take part in leading in the, in the congregation, in worship? But another way in which we can do our part is through the teaching of a Bible class. And similarly to leading it in the worship service, when you're asked to teach a Bible class, do you view it as an honor? Uh, do you view it as a privilege? Uh, I think I know our, our elders well enough to know that they put some thought into it when they are selecting the teachers for the classes. They're not just randomly selecting someone to teach a class. They're putting some thought into it. And when they come to you and when they ask you if you're willing to, if you would be willing to, to teach this class for the next trimester or whatever, do you grumble and complain or do you view it as an honor? 
Do you view it as an honor that they have entrusted you to uh, have the ability to teach the scriptures to others and to do so in an effective manner? One of the most unimpressive attitudes of a Christian, uh, in my opinion, is when we grumble and when we complain about doing the Lord's work. When we say, well, I'll teach that class only if I have to. I'll teach that class only if you can't find anyone else uh, to teach that class. Do we grumble or complain or do we willingly do it? Is it too much for you to do that? But you might say, I don't have the ability to take part in, in the worship service. I don't have the ability to teach, and that's fine. Not everybody does. But could you help out physically around the building? We, um, we are fortunate enough here that we have the means by which we can pay and see that the, the building is clean and, and see that the yard is mowed and things are taken care of outside the building. Uh, in times past, that has been done on a voluntary basis here. And you may one day be part of a church where that's done on a voluntary basis. Would it be too much for you to do that, to, to help out in the cleaning of the building, to help out in the mowing? From time to time, their churches will have uh, work days. We've, we've done that here in times past where you might come together and, and do some work either to the inside or the outside of the building, trimming the shrubs. You may paint a classroom, whatever work needs to be done. Would it be too much for you to participate in that and to take part in helping out physically around the building? Another way in which we may do our part in the Lord's service is by striving to be an elder or striving to be a deacon or striving to be a preacher or striving to be a teacher. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, speaking of the qualifications of elders, it says if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. It's good for us to desire those things. We need those things. We need elders. We need deacons. We need preachers and teachers. And that is essential for the church to function properly. It's essential for the church to grow. Would it be too much for you to strive to be one of those things? And again, you may be sitting there thinking, I would, I would never be qualified to be an elder or a deacon, or I, I could never preach or teach. And that's, again, fine. James chapter 3 and verse 1 tells us that, Be ye not many teachers, or let, many, let not many of you become teachers. That not everyone is cut out to be a teacher. Not everyone should be a teacher. But again, there are other ways in which you may help out and do your part. You may help out by just simply encouraging others. Remember when we are introduced to Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. Barnabas was not his real name. Uh, his real name that was given to him was Joseph. Uh, and he was called Barnabas by the other disciples because he, it meant son of encouragement. He had the ability. His, his reputation preceded him as being one who had the ability to encourage. And part of you doing your part may be nothing more than just encouraging others. You being a Barnabas. You being a son of encouragement. And you may do that just by being here. Uh, and by telling someone it's good to see them or asking again uh, how you might help and serve someone else. All of us can do our part in some way. All of us can encourage. Uh, it doesn't matter how old or, or how young you might be. All of us can do our part in that sense. Could it be said of us that we have done what we could? Remember in Matthew chapter, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 14 and verse 6, in the anointing at Bethany when the woman came to Jesus and anointed him with oil and she was rebuked, uh, by those who are present, but Jesus says, don't rebuke her, for she has done the, uh, a good deed. Uh, she's wrought a good work upon me. She's done a good deed, and he said that she has done what she could. Could that be said of you? Could that be said of me? When it comes to doing your part in the Lord's service, that, that you have done what you could, that he has done what he could, she has done what she could, or would it be said of us that, well, so-and-so just, just did enough to get by? 
They just did just as little as they, they possibly could in order to get by. I learned from that that the Lord does not expect of us more than we can do. Uh, again, not everyone's cut out to uh, take part in the Lord's service. Not, not everyone is cut out to, to teach a class or to preach from time to time, and that's okay. The Lord does not expect you to do more than what you're able to do, but He does expect our very best. Would it be too much for you to do your part in the Lord's service? <clears throat> we might ask ourselves another question. Is it too much for you to make sacrifices? And this uh, was kind of touched on this past Wednesday evening in uh, the invitation that was brought to us. But in order for us to live the proper Christian life that we should, it's going to be required that we make some sacrifices from time to time. We just came through uh, Matthew chapter 19 a couple of weeks ago, uh, talking about relationships, uh, that you, you may have to sacrifice relationships in order to serve the Lord properly. You may have to make sacrifices. Um, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37 says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. We may even have to give up some family relationships in order to properly serve the Lord. Or uh, Ezra in Ezra chapter 10, talking about how they were to separate from their pagan wives. In verse 12, they said, As you have said, we will do. Uh, and verse 40 later on tells us that some of them had children by some of these wives. They had to sever those relationships in order to properly serve the Lord. We may at one day have to give up our lives, Revelation chapter 2 and in verse 10. We may have to give up those things that are most precious to us. Remember in Matthew chapter 18 when Jesus was illustrating and making the point that if your eye causes you to sin to pluck it out and cast it far from you? Jesus was not condoning the fact that we should physically harm and or, or maim our body, but the point that he's making that if, if, it, if your eye is causing you to sin and it came down to the extreme uh, point to where you did have to pluck it out, that it would certainly be worth it. Uh, if something in your life is causing you to sin, then it's worth giving up that which is most precious to you. Nothing is much more precious to us than our eyesight. And if you're willing to pluck your eye out and lose that because it causes you to sin, it would certainly be worth it. There may be things in our lives that are causing us to sin that we need to pluck out. Maybe it's your job. We may need to pluck out our job and make that sacrifice if it's causing us to sin and causing us to be where we cannot serve the Lord properly. Maybe it's the TV and Internet causing us to watch and participate in things that are unhealthy and unwholesome. Maybe we need to pluck that out of our lives. It may be our evil companions. Maybe evil uh, associations that are leading us and pulling us away from Christ. Maybe your family, it may be your friends. Whatever it is, we must be willing to make those sacrifices, and certainly it would be worth it to give up that which is most precious to us in order to be able to serve the Lord. We also, in Matthew 19, recently talked about uh, the rich young ruler. Here's an example of one who was not willing to make sacrifices. It was too much for him uh, to make sacrifices. Remember when Jesus told him if... Uh, if you want to be whole or if you want to be complete, to go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And it says there in verse 22 that he went away sorrowful for he had great riches. It was too much for him. It was too much for him to make sacrifices. It was too much for him to give up that which was most precious to him. Is it too much to you to make sacrifices in order to properly serve the Lord? We might also ask ourselves the question, is it too much for you to tell others about Christ? God expects us to grow as Christians, to grow to the point to where we have the ability to spread the gospel, ability to teach others. Remember 2 uh, Timothy 2, 2, where Jesus, or, uh, 
rather Paul said to Timothy that these things that I have written to you among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to go out and to teach others also. That's how the gospel is spread. One person teaches another, that person teaches another. That's how it's spread. Our Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, when the Hebrew brethren were rebuked because by that point in time they should have been able to teach others, uh, but they were not. God expects us to grow to the point to where we can teach others and tell others about Christ. It is possible that we could be ashamed of the gospel. I'm, think about Paul in Romans chapter 1 where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. Later on in verse 17 he says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Could it be that it is too much for us to lead others to Christ because we are ashamed? Paul said, I'm not ashamed. But could the, the problem be, why are we not leading others to Christ? Could it be that we're ashamed of it? Ashamed about what others might think? Might think about the gospel or what others might think about us? Might be ashamed about what others might say to us? Might embarrass us? Maybe ashamed about what others might say about us? Maybe they'll go behind our back and talk about us because... Uh, we tried to lead them to the Lord. Perhaps the reason it's too much for us is because at times we are ashamed. Would it be too much for you to invite someone to a church service? Uh, maybe uh, a co-worker who maybe you've talked to them about the Bible. Would it be too much for you to invite them? Would it be too much for you to invite them to a gospel meeting, a special service that we may be having, especially those services that may be designed for uh, teaching the, the basic principles of the gospel to lead them to Christ? Would it be too much for you to ask them that? Would it be too much for you to ask someone if they would be willing and interested to study the Bible with you? Maybe you say, well, I don't have the ability to, to sit down with someone and teach. Maybe you, you ask the preacher, you ask one of the elders to, to help you in that endeavor or one of the other members to help you. Would it be too much for you to, to ask someone or are we ashamed to do it? But finally, I want us to close by asking ourselves the question, is it too much for you to obey the gospel? The Bible points out the importance of obedience. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9 says, he, uh, speaking of Jesus, says he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. There's a reward for our obedience. But in contrast to that, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, there's a consequence to disobedience. Look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Beginning in verse 8, not only is there a reward for obedience, there is a consequence for disobedience. Beginning, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8, it says, In flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. We learn that it is within our capacity to choose whether or not we want to believe. It is within our capacity to choose whether or not we want to obey. I think of Joshua in Joshua 24 and verse 15 when he said, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. It's our choice. You can choose to uh, obey him unto eternal salvation. You can choose to disobey him and be forever punished for it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. But it is within our capacity to choose. Would it be too much for you to hear the gospel preached? Would it be too much for you to believe it, to believe the gospel, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Would it be too much for you to repent of your sins, to turn from them, to no longer live a life for yourself, but live a life for Christ, the one who died for you? Would it be too much for you to confess your faith, uh, to confess your faith before your brethren, confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? 
Would it be too much for you to be baptized, to be buried in the waters of baptism, to have your sins washed away, to be raised up and walk in the newness of life? Would that be too much for you? Would it be too much for you to be faithful, to live out the faithful Christian life that is required in order to inherit eternal life? I want to close by looking at Titus chapter 2. As we raise this question, is it too much for you to be faithful? Titus chapter 2 at verse 11 says, For the grace that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Would it be too much for you to deny ungodliness? Would it be too much for you to deny worldly lust? Would it be too much for you to live soberly, to live righteously, to live godly, even in this present age? May it not be too much for us to live faithfully. I want to close as we, are, as we have been raising the question of, is it too much for you, with some simple reminders that may motivate us to have the attitude that it's not too much for us. And those reminders are that it was not too much for God to so love the world that he gave us his son. It was not too much for him to give us his son that we might believe in him, that we might not perish, and that we might have everlasting life. It was not too much for Jesus to suffer the cross, to suffer for your sins and for my sins. It was not too much for him to taste death for everyone. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, that he died for all men, he died for you. He died for me. That was not too much for him. May it not be too much for us. King Jeroboam was successful in convincing God's people in 1 Kings chapter 12 that what God had required of them was too much. Verse 30 tells us that when they were convinced of that, it became a sin to them. And may we not be convinced that God's commands are too much. Is it too much for you to attend the services, to read and study your Bible, to pray every day, to serve others, to do your part in the Lord's service? to make sacrifices, to tell others about Christ, and is it too much for you to obey the gospel? May it not be too much for us to do the will of the Lord that we might find that eternal home in heaven. There may be those here this morning, maybe you realize that uh, it's not too much for you to obey the gospel. It's not too much for you to be baptized. Uh, maybe you have uh, fallen away and you realize that it's, it's not too much for you to repent of your sins, to turn from them, and to live for Christ. If we can help you and assist you in any way, I ask that you come forward as we stand and sing.